As you're seated, open your Bible to Genesis chapter 27, and we will read the chapter together, Genesis chapter 27. Uh, We started last week, and I had hoped to finish last week, and we fell far short of that goal. Lord willing, we won't do it again. We, we won't have a third week in this, but uh, we're going to do everything we can to get through this morning, and hopefully I won't talk too fast uh, <laughs> to get through. But the Lord's Word, Genesis 27, this is the inspired part, so we're going to make sure that we take the time to read God's words. Genesis 27, 1, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, and he, said, he answered, here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies." Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me, now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and of plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you and be Lord over your brothers. And may your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. He said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Isaac heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother, has, your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless... You shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Father, we have read your word together, and God, we have seen so much wrongdoing and so much sin, deceitfulness, and selfishness. But God, Jesus, the perfect one, the only perfect human being, was devoid of all of that. Lord, he was full of perfect love, perfect righteousness. God, we pray that as you have said, as you have promised, that you would make us more like him as you work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said, Lord willing, we're going to finish this passage together. We're looking at this account in view of God's will and obedience to His will, how, how we respond to God's will. And certainly there are some warnings here about deceitfulness and selfishness, but at the heart of this account as you remember, as we talked about last week, is the knowledge of God's will, His revealed, declared will that said, this is what will happen. The older will serve the younger. 
And that was his declared will. We want to finish this passage and then give you some help in making godly choices in life that will help us to align ourselves with God's declared will. We talked about the difference last week between God's decreed will and God's declared will. And you'll remember that God's decreed will is, his, is the absolutely sovereign decisions that God makes that always happen. There's never anything that happens that is not by God's will. From the largest movements of galaxies to the smallest particles, God reigns supreme. If he didn't, there'd be something else stronger than God, uh, and we'd have to be fearful of that instead of God. He, he owns it all. He's in control of it all. Now, he's not the author of sin, as we discussed last week, but he has even decreed that that would be part of his will to bring himself glory. So, the key to his decreed will is, as you'll remember, that we don't know what it is, but it will happen. It always happens. Nothing happens outside of that. Now, it's good to know this because God has not revealed to us His decreed will, so we will therefore now not be held responsible to bring it about. He brings it about in every way. We don't have to bring it about, and He's not going to hold us responsible for that. But what He does hold us responsible for is His declared will. This is what he declares to be his will, and it can be disobeyed. He tells us what we should do and how we should do it and why we should do it in his word, in his instructions, his commands, his laws, his ordinances, his statutes. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is what you should do, and we don't when we disobey him. So the key to the declared will of God is that we know what it is, but it will not always happen. How does all of that fit together It's beyond our minds to comprehend. (laughs) It's outside of our finite minds to understand. And so when we struggle with the will of God, when we're trying to find out, God, what is your will? What should I do with my life? Which way should I go, to the right or to the left or straight or backwards? What should I do? He doesn't reveal to us his decreed will purposely because our finite minds can't handle it. But he tells us, focus on my declared will. Do what I've told you to do and often when we're struggling with his, with his will about should I go this way or that way, we're, we've ignored his declared will, which is right here in his word. And he's revealed it to us. He, we will be held responsible for it. And, and we're going to see both of these. We've been looking at both of these, his declared will, his decreed will in this account. Let's review from last week in the five scenes that we learn about his will. In scene one, Isaac and Esau acted contrary to God's will. His declared will. We saw that in verses 1 through 4. Jacob, as the younger son, was designated by God to carry on the line. But Isaac said, no, I want Esau to do that. It's almost like he said, if you remember, uh, you know, Jacob took your birthright away by a meal. Bring me a meal and I'll give you the blessing. So despite knowing God's declared will, Isaac said, I'm going to overcome it. I'm going to um, outdo God's declared will, substitute with my will. But God forces the issue because sometimes his declared will matches his decreed will and even that will happen and he'll bring that about. So when you know God's will, the lesson that we learned is that we should not replace it with our own will. Um, We need to focus on his declared will. That was verses 1 through 4. In the second scene, Jacob and Rebekah, verses 5 through 17, act consistent with God's will but they acted contrary to God's way, as we saw. They, they acted deceitfully, and they, they tried to bring about God's will their way. And Rebecca was the mastermind behind it, but Jacob acted it out. He never opposed it. 
And they, what, they, what they really did, Jacob and Rebekah took that good thing of God's declared will, and they said, we're going to bring it about our way. We're, we're going to use our own, uh, our own methods. And, and they twisted it into an idol, and so they said, this is what God wants, and so we're going to do it. But it actually became what they wanted, because it was going to benefit them. They, they twisted even God's will into an idol in their heart. So they said, not only am I going to get it, I, I want this, I need this, I deserve this, I'm going to get it, however it takes. And so we learned that when we know God's will, we need to work it out His way, not ours. The lesson there was to use God's means for God's will, not our own. So we've got to be consumed with God's declared will, not His decreed will, and we've got to work it out His way. In scene 3, verses 18 to 29, we saw that Jacob and Rebekah come out on top despite their sinful ways. They were successful, weren't they? They pulled it off despite all of the sinful ways. And, and I, uh, Jacob replaced, he supplanted uh, Esau in this account. Verses 19 and 24, he claims to be Esau. In verse 22, Jacob felt like Esau. In verse 25, he brought food like Esau. And in verse 27, Jacob smelled like Esau. The only thing that was different was his voice, but his father believed his other three senses. He closed his ears to the truth, and he acted out in his physical senses. And then we saw that Jacob betrayed the whole thing with a kiss, just like Judas betrayed Jesus in the garden with a kiss. But the worst deceit was in verse 20 when he lied about God. God gave me this success. God did it for me. Father, that's how I got it so fast. So Jacob just uses God as a part of his scheme. We looked at the three parts from Isaac's blessing. We, we looked at how this was intentionally exhaustive and exclusive. He said, you know, you are Esau, my son, and this is what I want for you. I want plentiful produce, I want political primacy, and I want the protective promise to be on you. All of those things that the, that the one who was the firstborn, who was going to have to take care of the family, everything he would need, I give to you, Esau, he thought he had. He was giving it to Jacob, and it was directly against God's declared will. Even as we read in verse 29, be Lord over your brothers, that was directly in contradiction to God's declared will for the brothers. Now, Jacob got what he wanted, and what we started to talk about last week, because we had to, to rush through at the end to make sure that we completed, but when you get what you want in this life, don't assume that, if, that it's God's acceptance of your methods. Because sometimes there are ways that we can get things that we wanted, we can get things accomplished that we want done, and we can get them done our way, and God even allows that to happen in His decreed will. We may get what we want, and it may be even what God intended for us to have, but don't assume that means God's okay with the way you did it if it wasn't His way. Just because you got what you wanted, don't interpret that as God's blessing. I've seen it so many times in my life and others' lives. Oh, God, I've gotten success over here, or, or you've opened this door, and so now I'm going I'm to try to go this way, and then the door gets slammed shut, and God, what happened, right? I, I, I was getting things that I hoped for. I was, I, was, I was going the way I thought, because when we were within God's will, when we're within His will, we will receive His blessings now and in the future when we're faithful to what He has said and has declared will. So that means don't judge hard times as, well, I must be outside of God's will necessarily. 
Don't judge easy times as, well, I must be in God's will. I must be doing things right because God's blessing me. We, we have the lesson in our notes that the measurement for true success is faithfulness to the Lord and His Word, that's His declared will, not whether we get what we want. That's the measure for success. Not, what we, not when we get what we're looking for all the time, but whether we're faithful to His Word. Well, now we get to the the non-review part. We've, we're all caught up now from last week. <laughs> Lord willing, we've all tracked through that quick review. Now let's look at scene four, verses 30 to 40, where Isaac, we're actually going to see something amazing happening here because Isaac changes to align himself with God's will. Now we start out in verse 30 and Isaac must be laying there in bed patting himself on the back. I've done it. I got what I wanted. I blessed my son Esau. Even though God said Jacob was the one, I got Esau in. And, and, and I've masterminded this perfect spoiler. He's probably comforting himself. But then Esau walks in. The real Esau comes in. Verse 33 describes Isaac's visible and horrified reaction in the original. In the original, it says this. It says that Isaac trembled in fear. So that's kind of the, oh. It says greatly. <laughs> Very much, oh, I mean, he is to excess. Oh, I mean, he's about to fall out of his bed because he's trembling so much. That's the original. He trembled in fear greatly, very much to excess. He's shaken to his core from top to bottom, inside and out in every way he's undone. Why? Well, I think it's because of the fear of just figuring out who he's crossed. And it wasn't Jacob. It was God. God's will, that he's just, he's just flaunted his way over God's will, and he's just discovered that he can never match God and to try to fight against his will. One commentator said he had acted in the flesh, and God had simply overruled him. So he's just shocked at how simple it was that God just worked it out, even using sin to bring about his will. Notice what he says, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me, and I ate it all before you came, and I've blessed him? as if he didn't know, and he's going to show very soon that he did know exactly who it was. But here's the key. Here's the key what he says. Yes, and he shall be blessed. The one that I've already blessed is the one who shall be blessed. There's no getting around it. There's no fighting it. Esau, you and I better get in line behind God's will. We tried to bring about our own, but it didn't work. God overruled us. We better get in line with God's will. Notice there's no doubt this time. You know, there's no test of let me feel you, let me smell you, you know, let me taste the food. He knows exactly who it is this time, and there's no need to second guess it. Isaac is starting to accept this. He's accepted this at this point, but Esau does not. Esau's not where Isaac is. Verse 34 says, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, wailing and crying bitterly. And his focus, you'll notice, is on me. Bless me. Even me also, oh, my father. Isaac says, no, your brother came and took it away. It was never really Esau's. We've talked about that. Never really Esau's to begin with, and Isaac knew it. He had tried to change it, but you can't fight against God and win. So brother and sister, we're seeing warnings here about making the same mistakes that Esau makes here. Rather than changing course, rather than repenting, he adds more sin, Esau does. He says in verse 36, is he not rightly named Jacob? He's cheated me twice now in the birthright and the blessing. So the first problem that Esau does here is that he adds, uh, he, he starts feeling sorry for himself in a victim mentality. He cheated me. He took it away. 
When it was really Esau who had sold the birthright, Esau had given it away almost willingly, and then he swore to it, and the blessing should therefore have gone to Jacob as well. But, but he said, look, he took it away. He stole it from me. He's, he's wallowing in victim mentality. The second was that his, his problem of covetousness, the blessing was long gone, as we talked about. And while the family, you remember in chapter 26, the family lived through that famine. There was a famine in the land. They were hungry, and they, and they couldn't get enough food and their wealth had all dwindled, and, and during that time, okay, it's, it's all right if Jacob gets the blessing. But then in chapter 26, we saw in verses 12 and 13 that God had given Isaac an abundance of blessing. He had reaped a hundred times what he had planted. It says he became rich, and he gained more and more until he became very wealthy. Well, suddenly now Esau says, wait, I want that blessing. <laughs> now, now that it's more again, I want that blessing. So there was covetousness that arose in him. And then the third and biggest blessing or problem for Esau was the idol of self over the Lord. I want what I want. I'm going to figure out how to get it. God said Jacob would be the one. Esau said, no, I want it. I want to be the one. But rather than submitting and trusting the Lord, Esau tried to fight. So brothers and sisters, don't make sin worse by adding more sins when you recognize that this has been God's declared will all along and I haven't, I haven't known it or haven't obeyed it, I need to change course like Isaac does here. Another name for that, another word for that is the word repentance. I, I changed the direction that I was going in my mind, in my actions, in my words. Esau pleads with Isaac, isn't there anything left for me? Isaac says, what else can I give you? I gave him the plentiful produce, the political primacy, the protective promise. In fact, if I take any of that away from him, that'll be cursing him and I'll be cursed. <laughs> Isaac says, I can't give you anything, Esau. So he lifted up his voice and he wept. Now, verse, we need to consider that, that what's happening here in Esau's mind is explained in Hebrews twelve seventeen. You don't have to turn there. It's written in your notes, but here's what it says. Esau desired to inherit the blessing when he did that, he was rejected, for he found no place, no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. So what happened was Esau was stuck. He was stuck because he felt bad about how things turned out. But that's not what repentance, that's not changing course. That's just feeling bad about the consequences of sins. That's not the same thing as changing course, changing direction, or repentance. That's not how to be right with God. Oh, God, I messed up and I got caught. I feel terrible. No, it's God, I've sinned against you, the holy God, as we've sung about this morning, as we've talked about already, as we've prayed, as we've recognized, God, you are holy and I have offended you. I've, I've assaulted your character with my sin. Uh, all I can do is cry out for your forgiveness and change course in faith, change the direction of my life. That's not what Esau was doing here. He was just crying because he wasn't getting what he wanted. Well, another verse that we need to consider from Hebrews that explains more of what's happening here is Hebrews 11, verse 20. Remember that Hebrews chapter 11 we call the hall of faith. Verse 20, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked a future blessing on Jacob and Esau. He said, now wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. I think I just read this, and it was through deceit that Isaac gave the, the blessing to Jacob, uh, and then later something to Esau. But you're right, that's what it was at first. 
But that's where we see that this point is where Isaac changes course. He repents, and that's why it's, a, it's by faith that he does this blessing to Jacob. When he realized what he had done, who he had crossed, he changes to align with God's will and acted in faith. So that's why we can see that Isaac acted in faith. He didn't at first, but he repented, changed course, while Esau remained in that stubborn rejection. But there was still a blessing for Esau, verses 39 and 40, and the blessing that Esau gets is scarcity, but survival, struggle, but still some success, servanthood, and then one day separation, when you separate yourself from your brother. But this is why this part of the account is so important. Because when you and I realize that we've been rejecting God's declared will, that's what sin is. That's what sin is defined as, rejecting God's declared will, doing something different than what God said. Repent. Confess and turn away in faith. Isaac knows that what Jacob did was wrong. So he's not there trying to say, but God, look at what Jacob did. Look what happened here. He knows what he's doing, but he's just going to trust God with that part. God's going to take care of Jacob for what he did. But he also realizes what he was doing wrong. And so he lets God deal with Jacob, but he says, as for me, I can't overcome God's plan. So he stands by the blessing that he gave to Jacob. He reverses the direction. God's plan will be done. His decreed will will be done. You can be active or you can be passive. You can deceive, you can trick, or you can work faithfully. But the will of the Lord will be done. And you cannot disrupt the decreed plan of God. But you must and you will be confronted with His declared will from His Word. And the only escape from eternal punishment for rejecting that declared will is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Because he lived perfectly. He never rejected God's declared will. He always obeyed perfectly. So the lesson here, the the lesson that we take from this is that when you find you've been ignoring or rejecting God's declared will, repent. You probably already had that in your blank, didn't you? (laughs) You probably already figured that out. Scene five. Jacob faces consequences for sin. Verses 41 to 46, to to wrap up this this account of Jacob and Esau, in scene 5, Jacob faces consequences for sin. As a result of his sinful deception that took away what was never really Esau's, but Esau thought it was, Esau hated Jacob. That's what it says. His hatred grew. Now, Esau still has a little bit of respect for his father, so he says, well, as soon as dad's dead, then I'm coming after Jacob, and I'm going to kill him. That's what he says. So Rebecca and Jacob conspire again to get Jacob out of there to safety. Now, how did Rebecca learn about Esau's plans? Do you think Esau wouldn't have told his mother, Rebecca, his plans? Probably not, right? Have you ever heard of the, you ever heard of the saying, the expression, a little birdie told me? <laughs> you ever heard of, you know where that comes from? It's Ecclesiastes. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 20. You should have that in your notes there. Um, he, he, Solomon writes there, Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice. Or some winged creature tell the matter. Somebody overheard, and, and, and you know, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm sure there's nobody around, but somebody still was close enough to overhear and they, they heard it, and then someone told Rebecca. A little birdie told me. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. 
And she says, I don't want to lose you both because if, if Esau does kill Jacob, Jacob's gone, and then Esau's going to be brought up on charges, and according to Genesis 9, in God's created order, Esau should die because he took the life of another person, a human being. So she says, I don't want to be bereft of both of you in one day. So she continues her way. She tells Jacob exactly what he needs to hear. Your brother wants to kill you. She tells him, it's only going to be a few days, just, just a little while. <laughs> you need to go away. Wait for him to cool down, and then you can come back. But we know, because we've read the rest of Genesis, it's going to be 20 years before he comes back. She tells Isaac what he needs to hear. Jacob needs a wife, but not from here. Look how terrible Esau's wives are. They're just nothing but a thorn in our sides. Get him out of here. Send him away to get a wife to come back that will be faithful. So he agrees. Send him out. And it introduces the next section that, Lord willing, will begin next week. But we need to consider for just a minute, just, just taking a peek ahead just a little bit because we need to comfort our little minds with the question, why did Jacob get away with all of this? And he doesn't get away with anything. He's going to endure 20 years of hard labor under Laban. He's going to be deceived by Laban. I'm, I'll work for this person as my wife. He gets the other person <laughs> as his wife. He's going to cheat him. Laban will cheat Jacob. He, he will change his wages ten times while he's there working for him. Jacob is going to have family conflict within his marriages, within his concubines. Jacob's own sons are going to deceive him about his other son, Joseph. And Jacob will never see his mother, Rebecca, again. She said, I'll just send you away for a little bit, and then I'll, send you back, I'll, I'll bring you back home. But apparently he never saw her again. And he, he lost so much that he never would have had to, had to lose because God had already said, this is going to be yours. But he tried to figure it out his own way and he, he, he brought so much loss with what he gained through his deceit. And so a lesson that we can take from this, and it's not the main lesson of this passage, but we're going to learn a lesson from this anyway, is that when your sin has broken a relationship, reconcile rather than run. Right? Reconcile. The consequences follow us. When we mess up, when we break relationships, when we act in sin, the consequences will follow us. Jesus even told us to reconcile with people before we come to worship. If there's a way that I can reconcile with somebody who has something against me, or if I have something against somebody else, Jesus says, take care of that before you come to worship, or at least make the effort. But even in this, God was working. So, the overall the overall lesson here, we may have a question. Like, why does God use all of this mess? Why does God allow Jacob to get the blessing? What we need to understand, and this is key for us to understand, because sometimes we just look down our noses at this Jacob and this Esau and this Isaac and all of these people in this account. We need to understand that every time God works with people, that's you, that's me, every time he works with people, he's working with sinful people. <laughs> every time we get to be a part of his plan and his purpose he's bringing blessings to sinners and he's excusing he's pardoning he's forgiving when we've asked when we've turned away from them when we believe in his son Jesus Christ all of us who are getting those blessings who don't deserve those blessings he's giving them to us he's working with sinful people so we need to just be thankful that God uses sinful people in his plans to bring about his glory all right, so we've looked at the passage now. 
And we've seen how not to deal with God's will, how not to respond to God's will. We've seen, you know, don't, don't ignore it and try to do something different. We've seen, okay, I'll accept it, but I'm going to get it my way for, for my reasons. We've seen that. But what should it look like? What should it look like for us to, to, to go after God's will, to understand God's declared will for all of our decisions? Because Psalm 143.10, David says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. That's what David said to God. David didn't say, God, show me your will. He didn't say, God, teach me what your will is. He said, just teach me to do it. Why? Because God had already revealed much of his will for his life in his word. Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6.10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Father, right? So, so this is important to be following along with God's will and to be participating in it, and it shouldn't be mysterious. Anytime we look in the, in the word of God, we don't see people that are confused walking around going, what's God's will? What should I be doing? It's, it's not in the word. We don't see it. So it's important, but how do we find it? How can we get better at making decisions that align with God's declared will, even if he doesn't tell us you need to have grilled cheese today instead of ham and cheese? <laughs> right? I mean, any decision that we're making. Now, it's easy because we talked about, well, if I'm just considering a job change, um, there's, I could become a bank robber or I could <laughs> work at the bank. You know, that's an easy choice, right? I mean, one is obviously sinful to God. But what if you have two good opportunities? I could work at the bank or I could work at the store. Which one should I do? Now, some people want to try to read the wind. You know, which way, which way is the wind blowing? I'll try to follow that. I'll go after God's will that way. You remember in Acts 27 when, when Paul was on the ship and, and they were going to Rome and he was going to be brought before Caesar they were really late in the season. Paul said, guys, we shouldn't leave. We, we shouldn't go. We, let's just stay here, wait out the season. They said, no. Verse 13 of Acts 27, they saw the wind start blowing, uh, the south wind blew gently. So they said, we got what we wanted. This is the sign that we were looking for. And they departed, and then it ended with a loss of everything except their lives. They thought, oh, let's read the wind. Some people want to look for signs. Some people want to hear audible voices or, or go with intuition or promptings or feelings. Some people say, well, uh, let's not do that. Let's go to the Bible and let's find out what it says. <laughs> go north. <laughs> what does that mean in my situation? Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll flip a coin. <laughs> uh, we, you know, we, we, we hear so many different ways that people are trying to find out what God's will is. Find something that speaks to you. Find something that stands out to you. Is there a better way? Now, we do need to acknowledge Psalm 37, verses 3 and 4, and you have these in your notes. These verses say, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a promise, he says. Now, many claim that promise as he's going to give me everything I want. That's what, they, that's what they take this verse to say. But when you read the context of that entire psalm, and even just the verses that we just read, the two verses, it makes it clear that all that you want will come from the Lord. The things that you are wanting, you'll want because the Lord wants those things. So he's going to give me the things that I should want, the desires that I should have. He's going to give me those right desires, and then he'll give me those things. Do you see the, do you see the difference there? He'll, he'll give me the desires for what I should want. So when we surrender to the Lord, when we delight ourselves in Him, our desires are actually going to change. 
they're not going to be so much for that Lamborghini <laughs> as for the vehicle that I need so that I can do what he's told me to do. But what happens again when you have two or, two or more good choices to decide between? Consider this guide, and we've called this godly choices. It, it's a Hopefully a helpful way to remember this or, or to take these steps in, a, in just a, a, a sure, um, concise way. Um, we're going to fill these out together. Um, when you have a decision to make, and, and I want to do God's will, I want to do His, way, you know, His will, His way, I want to do it and, and not get off track, consider godly choices. First, get all the facts. Get all the facts. That's the first blank there. Proverbs 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame, right? The one who states his case first, verse 17 says, seems right until the other comes and examines him. I saw a video clip this week where, um, you know, you, you click on the video and it doesn't load right away and it kind of skips and then you only see a part of the video. Well, a part of the video, this large man had pushed this smaller man like halfway across the room. He like shoved him all the way across the room. And, and you see that part of the video clip and you think, man, what a, what a bully this large man was to push that small man away. But then you let the video load and you watch from the beginning and the, the smaller man begins to choke the older man and, and he's got him with both hands around his neck so the larger man just shoves him away and that's, what he, that's all he did. <laughs> he didn't try to choke him back or kick him or hurt him in some way. He just shoved him away. Well, you get the rest of the context. You go, wow, okay, that makes sense. That was actually the right thing to do, to shove him away. So, so we've got to make sure we have all of the facts. And we don't give an answer before we hear what there is to hear. And all the things, that, as much as we can get all of the facts, as much as we can learn the facts. So get all the facts. That's first. The O for godly choices is the objective of your heart consider the objective of your heart, or you could say motives. What is it that I really desire in this decision? What am I after? What do I really want? Proverbs 16.2 says, all of the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. <laughs> of course, we can figure that out, right? Like, everything I want is good. That makes sense to me. But the Lord weighs the Spirit. It's the Lord who actually knows what we're after. When we want something, We'll find all different ways to justify it, but God knows our inner thoughts, our desires, our will, our motives. Get real with yourself before God. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, I don't know of anything against myself, but I'm not justified by that I, just because I'm not aware of sin. Hebrews 4 says it's the Word of God that is the sword that gets in there and discerns between the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You remember in 1 Peter, our study there in 1 Peter 2 that said the flesh wages war against our soul. So, so don't just look at, well, what do I want? Look at the objective of your heart, the motives. D, direct instructions from the Word. Look at the direct instructions from His declared Word. You remember in 1 Samuel, King Saul tried to justify his sin. He said, I'm just going to make the sacrifice. Samuel's nowhere around yet, and we've got to get going, so I'm going to take his place, and, and, and I've already been a prophet. I'm a king. Now I'm going to take on the role of priest, and that was never something for Saul, for King Saul to do. And as he's, as he's confronted, Samuel says, to obey is better than sacrifice because rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. He says it's evil to rebel, to disobey God. It, it, presumption is as sinful as idolatry. So we have God's declared will here in His Word. He's already told us so much about life. 
So start with what is clear. Start with what God has already said in his word. Because, you know, if I don't really care what he's already said his will is for my life, why would I go looking for other parts of his will? Why would I even want to know what the rest of his will is if I'm not interested in what he's already told me? Now, this is crucial to understand. This is important, so, so important for all of us to understand. In God's declared will, in 1 Timothy 2, God says that his declared will is for you, you, to be saved. That's what 1 Timothy 2 says. It's his declared will for you, man, woman, boy, girl, to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. To be saved from your sin and from the consequences of your sin. And if you're not saved from those consequences and from your sin by faith, by grace, because of Jesus Christ, you've not accepted the gospel, you've not accepted God's expressly declared will for your life right at the outside, don't expect any of this to work. If you haven't started with that, don't expect anything else to work where God's just going to show you the rest of His will for your life. That's where it begins. To come to the knowledge of the truth and to respond in faith and repentance. So also remember 1 Peter 4, we talked about it. It may be God's will for us to suffer. 1 Thessalonians, it's God's will that we be thankful. Look at his declared will. Look at what is directly instructed in his word. That's D, L, for godly choices. L is look out for warning signs. Proverbs 16, in verse 25, it says there's a way that seems right to a man. But its end is the way to death. It may not be best for me to have what I want. It may not be the best thing for me. It seems right to me, but it could be death. Verse 9 of that same chapter says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So ask yourself, what if I don't get what I want? What if I don't get the one that I want? What will happen? What will my relationship with God look like? If I wanted this and I'm praying about this and I don't get it, am I going to stop believing in God? What is it that I'm really after? Again, the motives, the, the desires of your hearts, but watch for those warning signs. Look out for the warning signs. Have I sold myself out so much for this that, that if I don't get it, my relationships with others is going to suffer? So, so we're submitting to his will. We're looking out for warning signs. The why is your witness. Consider your witness when you're making decisions. Jesus said in Matthew 5, the whole world is watching you, believer. The whole world is watching you, and what they, should be see is, what they should be seeing is that your light is shining before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, this may be really helpful to decide between two good options. Well, if, you know, if I go this way, man, it'll really put on display God's work within me so they'll see his, the good works that He's doing in me, and I can be a better witness. I can, I can be the witness that He's called me to be. Which one would make your light shine brighter than the other? That can be helpful. Well, that's godly. Let's move on to choices with our dwindling time here. See, check, for, check with others for advice. Check with others for advice, for wisdom from other people. Proverbs 13.10 says, By insolence, that's, that's arrogance, pride, comes nothing but strife. But with those who take advice is wisdom. He didn't say that those who give the advice have wisdom, but, I mean, that would certainly be true. But the one who asks for advice, the one who seeks advice, is, that's where wisdom is. There are other verses, and we can't unpack all of this as, as much as we could, but, but get advice. Go to others for wisdom. The H in choices is holiness. 
our sanctification, our holiness, our growth in holiness, our growth to become more like Jesus. You have a smattering of verses there, and all of those verses tell you that God has elected you for holiness. God has, in the person of Jesus Christ, prayed this for you as a believer. Jesus died to make holiness happen and real within you. Jesus ransomed you for holiness. God commands holiness, and it is His expressly declared will in His Word that you be holy. So much of what Jesus did for us was to make us holy. So don't leave that out. And I know, I know that could have gone underneath that, you know, direct instructions that, that was declared. But we set this apart just because that's how much it took for Jesus to begin making us holy. We, we are holy before God when we've repented and believed in Jesus Christ positionally, but practically this is what we should be about. And so when we have a choice between two good, two good choices and a decision, which one's going to help or which one would hinder my, my growth in holiness? The O is outcomes, outcomes that are possible. Consider all the outcomes that are possible because Proverbs 14 says the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. You know, if I choose this way, what are the outcomes? What, what could possibly happen? And, and don't say, well, it might get hard because that, that's not necessarily a bad thing. When things get hard for us, that's how God works in us and grows us and changes us. But don't just think everything's just going to work out fine. <laughs> Give thought to your steps. If I do this, this might happen. If I go that way, these things could happen. Am I willing to endure those consequences for this decision? Just, again, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's wrong. Just because it's easy doesn't mean it's right. But think about the outcomes. Prepare for them as you handle them. And not just for yourself, but the I is impact on others. Consider the impact on other people. Often our choices will impact everybody around us. Now, some of that's considered in your witness, but this is especially here within our family, the family of God, the, the body of Christ. Romans 14, he says, you know, you might decide that you can eat meat sacrificed to idols, but you cause your brother to stumble, and, and then it's sin. It's wrong. You've caused your brother to stumble. Paul says in Philippians 1, you know, I, want, I really want to go home to be with Jesus. I'd really rather be there, but to stay here is better for you. I'm going to stay here. That's how Paul thought about life. That's how he made a decision. I don't think that was all his decision to make, but that's how he decided to get his attitude right about where he was at the time, right? Okay, C in choices. We're almost done with, with this uh, hopefully helpful way of thinking through this call. Call to God for wisdom. Every one of us lacks wisdom before God. As we begin to fear God, as we begin to know who God is and we fear Him, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's how we can begin to start out. James 1 tells us, ask him for wisdom. Why would, why would we do that? Because he gives generously, without reproach. He gives it to us when we ask in faith. God already knows we need wisdom. He's not going to make fun of us when we ask for wisdom. <laughs> without reproach, generously, abundantly, because he knows. Because wisdom from others is important, but wisdom from God is imperative. That's what we're learning. We're, we're crying out to God for wisdom. E is exalt God. Exalt God. Which one of these choices can, can I glorify God? Can I exalt God? If you can't exalt God, if you can't glorify God in a decision that you're about to make, then, then don't make that decision. Choose against that, right? Colossians 3 is there also because if you cannot say, if I cannot say in a decision, uh, in the name of Jesus, I do this. In the name of Jesus, I don't do that, or I say this, or I don't say that, um, we better stay away from it. If we can't say in the name of Jesus, or also there in Colossians 3.17, if I can't say, God, thank you as I do it, 
and I better get away from it. That's how I'm glorifying God. That's how I'm exalting God. The last part of this is, after we've gone through those first 11 and, and we've decided, we've made a decision, the last one is start moving. Go. Make that decision and go. After all you've considered when you've filtered and you've stripped away and you've narrowed down, you've prayed for wisdom and you've made a decision, then you do it. it you've done everything you can and the other parts, Romans 14 says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. James 4 tells us whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So after we've made this decision, then it's time to move out <laughs> and get started and do it, as Ecclesiastes said, with everything we've got, as we've learned about in the epistles also. Brothers and sisters, God's will isn't mysterious. It's right here for us. He's given us His will in so many places. It tells us exactly and specifically what we should be doing. For those that aren't in there, the principles and the instructions and the wisdom that He gives us will be able to make decisions that glorify and exalt Him. Go through these guidelines and then trust and move out. Father, we pray, God, that You would work in us to grow our faith. Lord, help us to grow and cultivate the faith that You have been so good to give to us. Lord, the faith that we have was not a work of our own. It was not something that we drummed up within ourselves, but a gift that you've given to us. God, I pray that you would work within each of us to use that gift, Father, to use that for your glory in our life, to use that um, to help others, Lord, to, to come alongside other people, brothers and sisters, to, to help strengthen their faith, and God, to come alongside those who don't know you, who need faith to believe and to repent. God, we pray that you would be glorified in the life of your people. Lord, that we would make decisions that honor you and glorify you. Father, that, that lead to, uh, to our growth, to, to greater faith, Lord, to others coming to know Jesus, that all would sing your praise, that as we bow before you, before your great name, as we confess the greatness of your name, Lord, that we would do that now before the day when we are forced to. And God, that you'd bring us home. Father, thank you for your promises. We rest and trust in you because of them. In Jesus' name, amen.